Well, this afternoon we've got session three of Unlocking the Power of the Cross. And it's after lunch, so this is going to be a really stimulating session. You're going to be wide awake. You're going to get revelation. You're going to remember everything that's said. And uh, by faith, you're going to think, wow, that's it. So we're looking at this third stage of the cross. And first of all, let's recap the first three stages of the cross. We looked at Jesus on the cross, who saves me from the power of Satan. We looked at me on the cross, and that saves me from the power of sin. And then we looked at my flesh on the cross daily, which saves me from the power of self. I like to put it into these. I know things aren't compartmentalized, but I put it into these compartments to try and understand it. And it's by seeing it like this, it's helped me enormously. We're now going to look at the fourth stage of the cross. And this is so vital. If we can have that fourth stage up, Paul. Uh, is there a problem with the mic, or is that okay? Okay. So now we look at the fourth stage of the cross. <clears throat> now, this is the critical moment. I've called it the critical moment of covenant transfer. Uh, by the way, my son did all of these. He's, he's very talented. And this is the world on the cross. And this is the crossover point from minus to plus. You can see here that the, 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 the thing hasn't fully been turned. We've got a handle on the cross. But it's still not fully turned. And I want to talk through this because to me this is the most critical moment. And many people don't make it across. They understand Jesus on the cross, but they never make it across. It says in Galatians 6.14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Double crucifixion. The world has been crucified to me, but I to the world. And this really is where the rubber meets road. This is where many people live their lives. Many people walk, still captives of the world system. And many people live as, as in bondage to the world system. Now, I know we, we might think that the devil is the prince of this world. He's not. He's, he is in charge of the world system. Jesus has all authority. At the cross, Jesus became the king. He became, you know, he took over that whole princedom. He, he owns this world. But the world system, that is a demonized, uh, demon-inspired system that is mesmerizing a lot of people. And we're talking here about a clash of two kingdoms. We've got to see it as a clash of two complete world systems. Everything in the kingdom of God is exactly opposed to the world system. We've got to realize that. Two different systems are going to oppose each other. If you want to go up in the kingdom, then you've got to go down. If you want to live in the kingdom, you've got to die. If you want to receive in the kingdom, you've got to give. It's always different. If you want to go to war in the kingdom, you've got to surrender and sacrifice. It's always different. And often we use human principles. And I'm not making a snipe here, but sometimes in our churches, we are organizing our Christians on worldly man management lines, not on kingdom lines. And yes, it might look fantastic. It might be a Microsoft-style church. But it's not going to bring the kingdom in. You know, there are two different kingdoms. And we've got to realize we cannot afford to just let the world influence us. We're kingdom people. We do things back to front. Some things don't make sense in the world, but it makes sense in God. It makes sense in the kingdom. And this is where the clash happens. And in our rationalist, humanist society, people are more and more in the Christian world having the world pervade their Christianity, their principles, their churchianity. We've got to be very careful we don't allow ourselves to be dragged down by the world system. Now in Romans 12, Paul gives us the key. He says here in uh, 
the J.B. Phillips version. Unfortunately, in your notes, I had a senior moment and I put J.B. Priestley. <laughs> <laughs> but it's J.B. Phillips. <laughs> but uh, with eyes open wide to all of the first side of the cross, the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable to him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. What a great translation. You see, the world is not supposed to squeeze the church into its mold. We're supposed to invade the world. And so often we see the world system imprinting itself and stamping itself on our churches. You see, we've got kingdom values, which are opposite to worldly values. We've got kingdom standards, kingdom thinking. It's not like the world. Now, the common Christian experience is to get saved and possibly to experience the first three stages of the cross. Maybe we, we begin to understand that we can be free from slavery of sin, of Satan's sin and self. But then comes trouble. Then comes persecution. You see it all in the parable of the sower. You know, people have rocky hearts. You know, they have bomb craters in their lives. And so they, they can accept those things of, of deliverance from self, Satan, and, and sin. Great joy. But then trouble and persecution comes. And slowly they begin to back off, as I said, into the shadows. Then we get the people who are cluttered, and so many of us do get cluttered, even leaders, <laughs> particularly leaders. We get cluttered with stuff, life's worries, anxieties, the deceitfulness of riches, of wealth, the leisure, pleasure, comfort. You know, we start living our Christian life on a leisure cruiser, forgetting that actually this is a battleship. We're at war. And it's all about, you know, we have times when we forget that there's, there's a war going on. Now, it's not that we lose our salvation, but slowly we can begin to drift. Slowly we can find that that first passion, that first fire dims and we slowly drift to the shadows. We often get crushed by the pressures of the world system. I, I watch it. I was in business for quite a while, taking the train down from Watford into the centre of London. My office was in Albemarle Street, right you know, close to the centre. You just watch people just being squeezed, squeezed, squeezed. You know, people terrified of failing, terrified of what's going to happen. You know, the whole world system, these, and these, I don't know how many of the people I was watching were Christians, but the, you look at them and you wouldn't know whether they're Christians or non-Christians. They're getting squeezed, crushed by that system. It screams at us. You've got to succeed. You've got to be top. You need more money. It screams all the time, this, this system. You, know, you, can't, you, know, you can't totally trust God. You've got to be, got to be realistic. You've got to be reasonable. You, know, you can't just trust God. Now, come on. You've got to have a, a pot of money that you trust in. And so we've got to be very careful. It tells us all the time, screaming at us from the TV, to look after number one because you're worth it. We were worth it because he died for us. <clears throat> but the trouble is that little me that wants to be worth it has just, that, that will suck us into avenues of the world system that will just slowly quench that real kingdom life. And the seed that first went in won't fully penetrate your heart. And so you get lost. You may fully understand the first three phases of the cross, but this fourth one is the crossover. So important. We've got to wake up because the world system is blinding us as a church. I know the Bible says the God of this world is blinding the mind of unbelievers, but I've seen, even in my own life, how the world system can blind us as Christians. We get blinded and just go headlong into being controlled because money is a spirit. Mammon is a spirit. You can't serve God and mammon. 
It's a spirit. It controls us. And I know it's really hard to get free of that. I remember in our early years of trying to break free of, the, of mammon. Uh, Rachel and I come from two different two totally different extremes. You know, I, I, I was an army officer. I had bags of money, but I was guilty. I used to just give all my money away. I, I was too, really guilty having money. Rachel was a squirrel. She had to hold on to it. So there was me guilty giving it all away. Rachel was a squirrel holding on to it. But you see, I mean, the root of it is it's, it's, it's all to do with self. One was fear, one was guilt. And we, we just cried out to God and said, God, show us how to break through, break free of this. And uh, one of the th- ways we broke free was that whenever we gave, uh, we, would, we would have a deal. We would both pray, and if God gave us the same amount, then it was God, and we would give. If he didn't, we didn't give. And so it checked my guilt, that we, because I, I couldn't just give away, feeling guilty. We, we had to listen and hear from God. God said, this is the time, sow it. And slowly, we began to open up our hands. Now, Rachel is now, uh, I mean, she is Mrs. Generous. I've never met a more generous person in my life. She just gives and gives and gives. She likes to break people's debt. If she finds people in debt, she loves to pay off debts. So, I mean, she's completely changed. But I remember the day that she, God told us to give away all of our little squirrel nest egg. We were going to go, we had been called to Africa, and we got a little nest egg to make us secure. And God said, give it all away. I don't want you to go with that nest egg. So put our baby in a pram, and we wheeled down to the pastor's house. I think we cried the whole way with this check. And finally, we gave this check to the pastor. And actually, he'd been praying that God would give him the money for a new car. We skipped back. You know, we danced back all the way down down the road. We were so free. And three times in our lives, God has told us to give away everything, to break the power of that spirit of mammon. It's very deceptive because it creeps up on you again. And I find, uh, you know, once I'd left pastoring in St. Orleans, you know, I wasn't on salary. I had to go back to living in faith. And sometimes when you're on salary, you know, it's, it's odd because you don't have room for faith. I love now living in faith. I'll just tell you this wonderful little story. Because uh, God kept on saying, look, I, it's, all, it's all there. You've got the money to start running Mahaba. And uh, I didn't really have the faith for it. So eventually, one guy uh, put three pounds in my hand. And he said, look, I want to break this curse that you're not getting any money. And then two hours later, somebody put another three pounds in my hand and said, break that curse. So I just felt God saying, go and open up a bank account, and I'll fill it. So I went down to the bank. This was last Friday. Put 50 pounds of our money in the bank. Said, OK, God, I've done what I can do. Let's see what you can do. The very next day, I got a check for 5,000 pounds to, to start running Mahabha. And I just thought, God saying, I'm waiting for you to get over this. You still controlled thinking money rules. No, you step out in faith. I will provide for you. And so it's a battle. And all of us are at different stages. But we've got to remember that it does creep back again. So we've got to keep making sure. And just examine this. Are we still being controlled by that thing? Or are we free of it? So by faith, we've got to let the world be crucified to us. But also, we've got to be crucified to the world. It's a double crucifixion. And that's why, because it's so vital, it's got to be a double crucifixion. One crucifixion in the world is not enough. In the cross, there's enough power for me to die to my worldliness. But there's also power in the cross to stop the world crucifying me. Now, that's a biggie. One part of the cross is the power for me to stop me being worldly. But the other part is the world is crucified to stop it crucifying me. And we need to recognize that. It was very interesting looking at Paul's life, that in this walkabout of five cities, all hell broke loose in those cities. You know, they had riot and revival. He got kicked out, he got maligned, all sorts of things. Eventually, he got to realize, by faith, I can stop this. I'm not going to be vomited out anymore. 
I'm not going to be kicked out anymore. I'm going to put my feet down here. The world is not going to push me around. And, you know, he began to start being able to put his feet down and actually get the local proconsul to actually agree with him and side with him. And slowly he began to realize, by faith, I don't have to be messed with. I don't have to be constantly pushed around. So it's a journey. It's a real journey inside us. Yes, there are trials. Yes, there are testings. I mean, we all know it. There's discipline, there's persecution, there's shaking. And there's a massive world recession on at the moment. And everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. But this is the time to find, am I a kingdom person or am I really trusting in the world? Is he my provider? Do I really believe that he can look after me? Now, in Hebrews 12, 28, it says that we are, we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We've got to make sure that we've got that. That, that kingdom that cannot be shaken is part of our life. We're receiving a kingdom on a daily basis that cannot be shaken. But there's only one way through that, and that is to put our lives on the altar. And Romans 12 says... Look, you're not going to be squeezed into the mold of the world. But first, because of all the mercies of God, everything that he's done on the first side of the cross, you've got to place your lives on the altar. This is where you live. You've got to be on the altar. Because if there's no sacrifice, there's no fire. If there's no suffering, there's no glory. That's how we've got to live. We've got to accept that there's going to be sacrifice. And then we'll carry the fire of God. Now, if we look at dear old Apostle John, let's look at some of the things that John said. This was at the end of his life. 1 John 5, 4, he said, everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. It's nothing special. It's our faith. But now listen, it's not saving faith, it's kingdom faith. There are two different types of faith. And you've got to understand this. You know, when we come to Christ, we get saved by faith. It's saving faith. And it's wonderful. It is activating something. We believe God, we get saved. Kingdom faith is different. Kingdom faith is tested by God. It comes by hearing God speak to you. It comes by taking that word inside you, and then that word is tested. It's tested, and it grows and grows, and eventually... It gives birth to something. And the kingdom of God is advanced through us. And there are millions of people who are living in saving faith. But kingdom faith has to be developed. Kingdom faith has to be tested. Peter says very clearly that God puts us through tests and trials to see if that kingdom faith is genuine. He's not talking about saving faith. He's talking about, I want people who've got such a kingdom faith that they can not just be born again, but they can advance the kingdom. They can change cities. They can transform their environment. You see, it's not about salvation anymore. We've got to realize this. God is after people who can advance the kingdom. He's not just wanting people to be saved. He's not just wanting to wipe the slate clean. He's wanting something to be written on it. A kingdom value. Hey, I'm beginning to preach. I better go back to teaching. <laughs> but, uh, but this is what he says. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. And it's only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God overcomes the world. It's a walk of faith through that wilderness. But we mustn't get stuck in the wilderness with our fear, our shame, our guilt. Now let's look at another thing that John said. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. He said, don't love the world. Now he's not talking about people. What he said is, don't love the world's system or anything in the world's system. Because if anybody loves this world's system, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in this world's system, the cravings of sinful man, the lusts of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, it comes from the... Father, it comes not from the Father, but from the world. So dear John, the old apostle John is saying, listen, there's a clash of kingdoms here. What kingdom are you living in? Are you living by faith, with that kingdom faith, 
Or are you allowing the spirit of God, the spirit of the world, to start squeezing you? My Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything else follows. So we've got to be kingdom-minded. We've got to look for the kingdom. We've got to seek the kingdom. Now, I want to look at this crossover point. I call it the crossover point because this is the pivot. You know, the sword is like this. This is the pivot point. We could either go one way or the other. We've learned about the first side of the cross, but we are at that pivot point. We could go this way or that point way. Now, in the Old Testament, there are two major themes. There's the crossing out of slavery into freedom, and that's out of Egypt. And then there's the crossing from freedom into inheritance, and that's into the promised land. Always two crossings. First, across the Red Sea, and then across the Jordan. We cross over out from something, but then we cross over into something. That's important. There are two crossings, and we mustn't miss that. It's always two stages, crossing over out and then crossing over in. Now, the Bible says that almost every single person that crossed over out of Egypt died in the wilderness. They didn't make it over the second crossing. Almost the entire body of, uh, of Israel, people of Israel. Now, in the New Testament, it was a spiritual journey, but it's a spiritual journey through the cross. Again, it was two stages. It was crossing over out of slavery. These are the two crossings. It was crossing over out of slavery, out of sin, out of self but then crossing over into our inheritance, which is into sonship, service, and suffering. And that is what we've got to cross over into. There is a promised land. There is an inheritance. It's something we've got to step into by faith. It's his sonship, his service, and his suffering. And so many, sadly, just like the people of Israel, so many die between one crossing and the next. Really, really sad. They're dying as Christians, not losing their salvation, but never having reached the full destiny of their potential in God. Yes, some got stuck in Egypt, and you know, some people do get stuck in the world system and get stuck in the world and don't come to faith. And largely that's because of their wounds, their fears, they're frightened. But once you do come out of the, your slavery, you do get pursued. The devil hates seeing people leave. But most of the people didn't get killed by people being pursued by the Egyptians. They, got, they died in the wilderness. Now, what I want you to see, and uh, this is really, really important. I want you to see that it wasn't the Egyptians that kept them in the wilderness. It was they kept themselves in the wilderness. It was their grumbling. Hey, my Bible says that every Egyptian was killed. There wasn't a single Egyptian. Once they crossed the Red Sea, there was not one single Egyptian. Picture the demonic. The demonic was finished. Over. Dead. Kaput. Finished. What keeps us in the wilderness? It's our grumbling. It's our doubting. It's our, our negativity. We wander round and round and round with wilderness religious circles and we can die in them and the trouble is the bible says very clearly that in 1 corinthians 10 11 should we have that one up 1 corinthians 10 11 all these things that happened to them they happened as examples and warnings for us on whom the end of the ages has come Everything that was written down about the people of Israel coming out of Egypt and then into the promised land, it was written down for the church. Because the sad fact is the church do come to the cross, they do get saved from slavery, but then they walk round and round the wilderness for years. Entire generations come and go without revival. How tragic, how tragic that we can have an entire generation without revival. And our generation has not had revival in this generation here in England, wandering round and round in our circles. The last generation had it, they had people who could push through and grab it, 
grab hold of the inheritance. But come on, we've got to break it. Why should we die in a wilderness of religious activity? Why can't we inherit the full revival of our God? That's what we're born for. That is what Jesus died for, to bring us into the fullness of his power. I'm sorry, I'm getting... But this is so important. It's wonderful to be saved. Wonderful to be out of the devil's control. But don't get stuck. He didn't just save us out of slavery, sin, and self to get us stuck in the wilderness and die in the wilderness. He saved us so that we could move into the sonship, into the fullness of what he's got for us. Father, will you help us? God, will you show us? God, will you help us not to get stuck and die as an entire generation of Israelites died in the wilderness? Father, I pray for Joshua's and Caleb's. My God, will you put that spirit within us that we will push through in Jesus' name. So let's look at the two sides of the cross. You see, the first side of the cross, that was the one we've talked about. It's the side of God's mercy. It's all about me. It's wonderful, but it's all about me. I'm forgiven. I'm free from slavery. I'm healed. I'm delivered. I'm free from every area of sin, shame, addiction, compulsive sin. All guilt and condemnation is broken. This is where we get to know him as the Father. We experience the Father's love. It's all about me. We learn about Jesus as the bridegroom. It is fantastic. The blood of Jesus really does work on this side. And you know, for many people, the blood of Jesus is just a theology. They think, well, I don't really understand it, but... You know, the blood really does work. We have domestos, kills all known germs. We have white spirit, which deals with paint stains. But there's only one thing that deals with the stains of pain, and that's the blood of Jesus. We don't understand it, it's gruesome, but by putting our trust in that atoning blood of the cross, we get cleaned. All known stems, stains. If we come into the light, as he is in the light, we have perfect fellowship and the blood of Jesus cleanses us, washes us. And for too many people, and I know it was true of me as a young man, the blood was a theology. It wasn't practiced. You see, it's like soap. You can have a house full of soap and still be dirty. You can have a theology of soap and still be dirty. It only works if you actually strip off and you reveal the dirty parts and you actually apply the soap to the dirty parts. And the blood of Jesus does have an impact, but we've got to confess We've got to bring it into the light. And then that blood penetrates every little bit of stain and hurt. goes right to the very core. That's why living in the light with a small group of people is absolutely essential for staying clean and holy. That's the first side of the cross. It's fantastic, but it's not enough. Let's have a look at the second side of the cross. You see, the other side, it's not just about God's mercy. This is about God's grace. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And it's not long, no longer about us. It's all about him, and it's all about his kingdom. It's for him to live, so we need to die. And he's no longer just the father, the bridegroom. Suddenly, the face changes, and he becomes the Lord and the king. He becomes the one who is in charge. We are soldiers in command under command. No more rights. We give up all our rights. We can't start getting fluffy and sentimental. God says, come on, be a soldier. You know, just die to this and let me use you. And we've got to, we've got to recognize there's a different thing here. He wants channels of his kingdom, channels of his power, channels of his glory and love, compelled by his love. It's a different world. And so much of the body of Christ lives happily on one side of the cross where it's all about us. 
It's wonderful. Oh, it's so wonderful experiencing the Father's love. But if we get stuck there, then the kingdom will never advance. We've got to put ourselves on the cross, get clothed with him, and become soldiers who obey the Lord and the King and begin to start actively advancing the kingdom. Now really, this is just a passionate plea for every one of us not to be robbed of our destiny. Yes, there's forgiveness. Yes, there's peace. Yes, there's, there's hope. But it's just the start. In Isaiah 9 verse 2, it talks about how the light has dawned for those who are living in the shadows. And it's a fantastic picture. Bang! You know, Jesus has come. For those people who are living in shadows, there's light. Suddenly, it penetrates through our shady world. But we've got to fix our eyes on the light, not walk back into the shadows, not get mesmerized by those shadows. We must be very ruthless with ourselves here that we don't get stuck, get robbed of our destiny. It's our choice. Only believe. Now, we'll never understand this stage of the cross unless we understand the dynamic of the laws of covenant. It is a law again. It's the law of covenant. Now, the Bible is two covenants. It's the old covenant and it's the new covenant. Both of them are sealed by a circumcision, a cutting, a shedding of blood. One is sealed by the circumcision of the foreskin, gruesome. You think, why did God choose that? But he had a reason. The other is a cutting and a circumcision of our hearts. But you see, the covenant is God's answer to the human heart cry. And every one of us has it. God, I thank you for your promise, but how can I know? How can I know that I know that you're going to do that? It's exactly what Abraham asked in Genesis 15. He said, God, thank you. Show me the stars. You've told me your promise. But God, how can I know that you're going to do this? And so God said, there's only one way. I'm going to do, I'm going to break a covenant with you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. It's not going to be a one-sided covenant. It's not going to be a double-sided covenant. This is a diatheke, a one-sided covenant. He said, Abraham, you don't have to do a thing. You see, God chose to use a blood covenant as his unbreakable guarantee of what he had promised. It's a contract that is sealed by blood, just like marriage. You know, the Christian life is just a shadow of marriage. is just a, uh, a shadow of, of the Christian life. It's God's mechanisms for divine exchange. All that I have is yours. When we covenant into, into covenant with God, God says, all that I have is yours but all that you have is mine. We've got to give him our dirty rags of righteousness. We've got to give him, give him everything that, that, that is ours, but we get so much back. It's a mechanism for divine exchange, but it's also a mechanism to fuse two people into one. We talked about Rachel and Gordon becoming Gordon and Rachel. It's a new creation. But you see, there was, he was Abraham with Yahweh. Through covenant, they, he became Abraham. Abraham took part of the name of God, Abraham. Sarai and Yahweh became Serach. And so you get these people living on earth who are in covenant with the living God. Abraham was in covenant with the living God. Serach was in covenant with the living God. It's a mechanism to fuse two into one. And it's a mechanism for heaven to touch earth. Now let me just quickly uh, run through what happened in Genesis 15. It was a weird, strange, old-fashioned ritual with heifers, goats, rams, doves, and pigeons. But basically, they were laid out, they were cut in two, and a blood-covered way was created through these animals. That was the blood-covered way. And then, in a two-sided covenant, both partners would walk down that. And basically, they would make promises that said, if we break this promise, let us be as dead as these animals are. But in this case, in Genesis 15, Abraham was put to sleep. God said, Abraham, you're having nothing to do with this. I myself am going to walk through this diatheke. It's me who's making this covenant. This is my promise. I guarantee 
unbreakable promise, I will give you this land. It was a covenant about land. And God still keeps that covenant. It was a blood-covered way. And what happened was the darkness fell. And God made this covenant in that darkness with unbreakable promises. It was a blood-sealed thing. And all he said to Abraham is, just believe it. All he had to do was activate his faith. Just believe. And he did believe. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And you see, what covenant does, it legally enables you to exchange from one party to the other. I remember when we got married, you know, we, we see it very naively when we stand opposite our bridal partner. You know, all that I have, I give to you. All that I am. You know, you, you, we say those, those vows in a wedding. All that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I give to you, including all my debts and everything else. <laughs> but, you know, we suddenly... I discover that the next day, you know, my wife couldn't sign my checkbook and she, everything else. It, you know, we become one, and then they're able to, to, to work as one. I was very smart, because actually, I took, when we got married, I took Rachel's car. She might have taken my debts, but I took her car. <laughs> it was a, a really good deal. But uh, it is a legal exchange. And what happens is that covenant is the legal way in which God the Father is legally able to transfer heaven down to earth. You see, legally, it was impossible and illegal for God to interfere with human activity. Once Adam and Eve had sinned and we cut off and were under the devil, it was illegal. So God had to find a man or a woman on earth who would not only believe him, but also come into covenant with him so that God could legally transfer everything that was in the spirit realm down onto earth through a human being. And that's what he found in Abraham. And that's what he found in Jesus, transferring the kingdom. Now, we need to understand this because that is why the devil hates covenant. He fights every sphere of covenant because covenant is the gateway to heaven. Covenant is the gateway to kingdom power. If we understand that through the covenantal promises of God, we can legally access all of who God is, then, you know, by faith we can take it. An amazing thing happened in the upper room, and you know the story well, that Jesus was desperate to go to the upper room. He sent people ahead and they, they, booked, this, they, 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 they booked this upper room and then when he got there, you see it in Luke 22, he says, guys, I've been desperate. I've been absolutely desperate to get this to this moment. The NIV, think, I think it says, we, I have eagerly desired. I think he was far more passionate than that. Guys, I've been desperate to get to this point where I could make a covenant with you. I want to break bread with you. They had no clue that he was making a covenant, symbolizing a covenant with them. He broke bread with them. Then he said in Luke 22, 29, he says, listen, I have transferred onto you a kingdom. Exactly the same way that God transferred it onto me. I have given you this kingdom. Take it. Believe it. Everything that he had accomplished, the full kingdom power authority, in that covenant, he was giving it to them. He was foreshadowing the, the fact that he was just about to pour out his blood. You see, we talk about the blood of the covenant, the blood of the testament. But what we need to realize is that blood that we take in the communion was the blood that seals his last will and testament. This says, this blood seals the fact that I have made a last will of testament. I am transferring everything of the kingdom onto you. I'm going, going to the cross, paying for everything paying the full debt, but I'm going to leave the kingdom with you. And you see, that's what he did. He transferred the whole kingdom onto us. He gave us his forgiveness, his redemption, his vindication, and his reconciliation. That was all the mercy side. But then, on the grace side, he gave us his victory, his holiness, his authority, his power, the full inheritance, but also with his stigma of persecution and suffering. I want to talk, and this is a kind of a holy subject, from Hebrews 10, 19, and 20. 
because this explains what really happened on the cross. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. I haven't put the rest of the verse there. But what you see here is that this passage is talking about entering the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. The most intimate part of God. We're entering through the blood of Jesus. And it's by a new and living blood-covered way. Just like that. It, and it, it's a new and living way which has been opened through the curtain, which was his body. Now, you know that the curtain was torn in two. And it was as if God was like the darkness fell, just like in Genesis 15. The darkness fell. It was as if God himself passed through the body of his own son. The, the curtain was torn in two. And it is almost like God was saying, listen, I want you to, to recognize this. This is a holy moment. It's as if the hymen, the very hymen of heaven, has been torn in two. The blood has been shed. And I've ratified that covenant by the shedding of blood to be totally intimate with you. Just as a man and a woman are sealed together in that intimate moment when they come together in love. The hymen is torn, blood is shed, and that ratifies and seals the covenant. In tribal groups, they never accept the joining of the two tribes, unless there is the witness of the blood. And you see, the blood was shed. That curtain was torn in two. So that God was saying, listen, I'm inviting you to come into the most holy part of God. All of who I am, I'm inviting you to come and be part of me, be intimate with me, know me. Be joined to me. Fuse with me. And that's why you have the whole covenantal uh, thing of circumcision. The condition was to be circumcised in the natural, but in the spiritual. God is saying, don't even think about coming into me unless your heart has been circumcised by faith. Unless you can 100% put your faith in the power of God and be circumcised, as it says in Colossians 2, you know, I don't even want you to, to come in. You have got to come in through repentance. Repentance comes in. There's a cutting, bloodshed, and then we break through. Can you see this? It's sealed by the circumcision of our hearts. Let's look at that, that verse in Colossians. It says, in him, you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and then raised with him. Now listen to this. For one, one thing, through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. There is only one thing that activates that. The active ingredient is faith. We are buried with him in baptism. We are raised with him through one thing, that we have faith in the power of God. That's amazing. Now, by faith, not by anything else, by faith, this is the crossover point. It's the point in which we can actually come in to take hold of God's full promises. We can actually participate as it says in, in Peter, in, in 1 Peter, he says we can actually participate in his divine nature. We can actually be part of him, escape the corruption of the world. We can download the very nature of God, his holiness, his character, his life. And this is where we cross over, from minus to plus, from sin to holiness, from sickness to healing, from loneliness to belonging. So much from isolation to intimacy, from barrenness to fruitfulness, poverty to prosperity. You see, we can live with very little. We can walk around the wilderness being provided for by God, but it's not enough. There's an inheritance. There's a land. There's so much more that we could possess if we will make that choice 
to move across and to come into him. But it's our choice to believe, to receive, and to enter in. God's saying, listen, I can do no more. I've done this one-sided covenant. I've died for you. I've broken it all. But it's all or nothing. You know, I've given everything. But if you're going to receive it, it's all or nothing. If you want to be joined to me, it's all or nothing. Either I'm Lord of all or I'm not Lord at all. It's not just a little thing of raise your hand and just let Jesus forgive you. This is ultimatum. Get out of the driving seat. Stop being independent. Stop being rebellious. Give yourself 100% in surrender to the living God. It's strong. It's an ultimatum. It's repent. And it's not fluffy. And I can't make it fluffy. It's absolutely clear. We've got to face up to our responsibility and realize that God's laying down an ultimatum. If we believe, (coughs) we receive. Otherwise, we get stuck on the wrong side of the cross, walking around our religious wildernesses. Come, die, and then you'll live. Let's read what Jesus... Let's read what... uh, God says in Deuteronomy. It's exactly what he says to us. See, I set before you today this choice. Life and prosperity. Death and destruction. And this day I am calling heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Choose life. Make a decision and choose it so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. Only believe, only believe. He said to Jairus, come on, only believe. Now this is the critical fourth stage of the cross, the world on the cross. Either we resist it and renounce the world's influence on our lives or slowly we begin to slide back under the influence of the world. Remember, I said this is the pivotal moment. You know, we've done the first three stages, but here it could go either way. If we allow that double crucifixion to happen, crucified to the world and the world crucified to us, then we can begin to start moving over into sonship, into service, into suffering. But if we don't, what happens is slowly backslide. And too many people backslide. They slide first of all back under the world system, then under the flesh, then under the devil. You see, those are the three, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Slide back under the world system, you'll soon slide back under the flesh, and then soon back under the devil. And it's not that we're losing our salvation, but it's not where we belong. The people of Israel lived in captivity in Egypt for a long time. It's not where they belonged. They belonged in the promised land. And too much much of the body of Christ lives in that captivity. The world of the dry bones. People dying in the wilderness. I need to come to a close, but we need to just ask ourselves, where am I, Father, today? Where am I today? You know, I know all this stuff. And I mean, many of you have been Christians for far longer than I have. But where am I today? You see, we've got to make a, a decision. Before we cross over, we've got to read the small print. You see, in the wilderness, the only enemy we have is ourselves. It's my grumbling, my negativity. It's just all that negative stuff, grumbling and complaining. It just made them go round and round in circles. I always used to wonder, why did God tell the people of Israel to just shut up when they were going around the walls of Jericho? It's because their problem was their mouth. He knew that their mouth and their, their negativity coming out of their mouth kept them in the wilderness for, for all those years. So he said, now listen, when you're going around Jericho, just zip it, not one word. And you know, sometimes we have to tell people, just shut up. Just stop being negative about yourself and your circumstances. Just begin to praise him. 
Praise him, praise him, praise him. Praise is the greatest weapon in prayer. Just even if you don't understand, God, I want to praise you. I praise you. Even when you're going through hell, Lord, I want to praise you. Even when you're in prison, Lord, I want to praise you. I've got no money. Lord, I want to praise you. You know, if you do that, the walls will come down. But if we open our mouth, then those walls don't come down. So we've got to read the small print. Because once you've crossed over, something's going to happen. It's no longer you that's going to be your enemy. You're going to be public target, number one. All hell will come against you. As soon as you step over that Jordan, as soon as they stepped over that Jordan, you know, from then on in, it was battle. City after city after city, taking ground, advancing the kingdom. They had real enemies. They had to learn warfare again. And you see, many of us have just had ourselves to deal with. We can't even cope with that. <laughs> so what's going to happen when we have real enemy? So we've got to start waking up. As soon as we make the decision to cross over, there will be violent attacks. Matthew 11 says that the kingdom suffers violent attack. If you want to enter kingdom, you will suffer violent attack. There's no turning back. It's all or nothing. It's literally going for God. Breakthrough into destiny will cost me everything. But then, if I make that decision, I will go from slavery into sonship, from self into service, and from sin into suffering. And that is what I will go through in the next session. No sacrifice, no fire, no suffering, no glory. So Father, we want to thank you that we're on that pivotal moment Father, we pray that we would get a revelation of this wicked world system that just has pervaded our world, even our Christian world. Father, we pray that you would deliver us and bring us to that place of faith where we can have a double crucifixion, to be crucified from the world and the world crucified to us, that it will no longer have that ability to crucify us. Father, I pray that you give us revelation, that we can step across this fourth stage of the cross, step across knowing that the world has been crucified. Father, we just so long to step into all the fullness of our inheritance, to cross over. We don't in any way want to die in that wilderness of going around in religious circles. God, deliver us from that. Deliver us from those circles. We want to go become kingdom people that advance the kingdom in our generation, see revival sweeping through this nation and others. My God, we cry to you to do surgery on our hearts and do what only you can do. You'll bring revelation to each one of us that will take us on a journey into the fullness of our inheritance. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.